Well, good morning, everybody. And to you out there in the electronic world at home, thank you for coming. Uh, I did this the first service, and I think it's, I think it's really important. I, w I would ask everybody just to close your eyes. Take three deep, slow breaths and leave the trip here behind. Leave the worries at home behind. Leave what you're gonna do this afternoon behind. And just be here. Enjoy the moment. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ and eliminate everything else of the world. few announcements. Uh, there is a person in the congregation. I said she was from Richmond. I meant, I rent, I meant Richford. Who needs a ride to church on Sunday mornings? So if any, any, anybody is from that area and would be willing to, uh, to give this person a ride, uh, that would be very welcome. And uh, you can contact uh, Diane or or Valerie at the at the church office to get the details. National Day of Prayer is going to be at the World War II building this year, instead of at the church at the uh, courthouse, and that'll be on May 5th. So it's a great time. Uh, the town really gets behind this effort, and uh, it's good. It's, it's heartwarming to see the town of Watoma that uh, still allows and encourages uh, uh, a worship service like that that involves the community and the military and, and uh, the, uh, uh, the governments, uh, the schools, uh, just all the integral parts of our community to come and, and, and uh, recognize that, uh, that God has provided this place for us to live. So that's a good time. Um, Scott Kingston is uh, going to be voted upon next Sunday. Uh, his name has been announced as a candidate for uh, becoming an elder. He's gone through the the internship, the the, um, the mentee program that we started this year, and uh, uh, today would be the, uh, the the second Sunday announcing his candidacy, and the vote will be uh, next Sunday. So uh, appreciate you exercising your your right to do that. Um, watch over the uh, the bulletin closely. There's a lot of important things in there. I'm not going to go through through everything, but uh, Robert sabbatical, for instance, is starting in May June and I think into July, and uh, Al's uh, um, uh, going away party, his retirement party on the 14th of May, and. Uh, Oh, special thanks for the people that came yesterday and, and did the cleanup work. Uh, that's, it was a great day for it, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, we need to take care of these grounds. And, uh, and thanks for everybody that, that helped out on that. So other things, too, just to read your bulletin. Uh, one other announcement, uh, Rob Weisey from EFCA, who's in charge of, uh, of the uh, 
uh, youth uh, ministry and organizing all the all the events that the FCA has. Uh, he will be speaking today as our as our preacher, and uh, we we appreciate your presence, Rob. And uh, golly, I guess I'll have the uh, the ushers come up, and uh, we'll take the offering. Well, Holy Father, we just thank you for your generosity, your tremendous grace and patience in provision for us. We realize that all that we have is basically on, on loan from you. Uh, we are stewards of that, and we wish to give back to your ministries, uh, not only involving this church, but through this church to to uh, missionaries and, and other other ministries, not just in Washera County, but, but just uh, all over the world, basically. And, and we just... Uh, we just pray for all our all our uh, our missionaries, all the people that are involved in the outreach of this church at this time, especially for for uh, the San Filippos, uh, Ash and and uh, Leon, that uh, their uh, their ministry with the uh, with the youth in Minnesota would be would be successful and always pleasing to your eye. In Jesus' name, I pray. Good morning, Washer Community Church. Hey, it's a pretty good response. You're awake, right? That's why you come to second service, right? <laughs> well, I'm Rob Weisey. I've been on staff with the Forest Lakes District for over 18 years. It's been a blessing to serve the district. This is a picture of my wife, Nancy, and I. Thank you for those that prayed for Nancy a year ago. She got COVID really bad, was close to death. Uh, she was on 50 liters of oxygen, didn't go to a ventilator, but was very close. And we just are grateful uh, in the journey that she's still on with recovering from long haul. Some of you might have been dealing with this too. We're just grateful for your partnership and your prayers with us. Well, I want to jump in with, uh, as we start, you get to hear a little bit about me and the testimony. I believe that God has given each of us a testimony to share with people. Sometimes I thought my testimony was boring until I started telling others what God had done. I don't know how I can stand before you today and say, unless there's a God that I can humbly say, God, you have put me where I am today. There's no reason I should be here. So I humbly say these things to you, not to boast of what God has done, but to boast in God and what he has done. And I pray that I will bring praise and glory. This morning, I'm going to give you a quick testimony. We're going to watch a video on the church. We're going to jump into a passage in the New Testament about Paul and Silas being on mission. We're going to talk about the church. And we're going to try to encourage all of you, because I know you're in the middle of a search process too. And hopefully we'll even talk about that towards the end a little bit. So I just want you to know it is so good to be together. So my testimony starts at age four. And I was mentioning this in the first service. Are there any Sunday school teachers in the room? Some of you taught this first hour. You're my heroes. Because my Sunday school teacher at age four led me to Christ. She talked about heaven. She talked about hell. She talked about God loving me. By the time I got home, man, I was ready to give my life to Jesus, honestly. So by, and I, I, I do a small group of sixth grade boys on Wednesday nights at a youth group. And I told these boys the other day, I said, I want you to share your testimony in three words. They looked at me and said, are you crazy, Pastor Rob? There's no way. Ugly, green, footstool. That's my testimony. And the boys said, what? I gave my life to Jesus with my mom and dad helping me by the ugly, green footstool. I think we all need to have a story of where it starts. For me, that was the beginning. And the Sunday school, 
So thank you for those that are involved in Sunday school and helping. So for me, grew up in a Christian home, crucial moment for me at age 15. I don't know about you, but on the journey of being a Christian, sometimes we forget that a life of delayed gratification is important. We do what God calls us to do and to be obedient. But it felt like a lot of rules to me as a kid. So at age 15, I decided one Friday night I was going to break the rules. I was going to go off to a party and be by the chicks, I guess is what I called them back then, and just get away and do something different, lie to your parents, and go. And I did it. Halfway to the party, one of my friends hands me a $20 bill. And I'm like, whoa, what's with that? He goes, you're buying the beer for the party. Drinking age is 18. I was 15, but looked like I was probably 18. Boy, oh boy. I looked up at God and went, this isn't fair. <laughs> you ever done that when God gives you an assignment or he asks you something? This isn't fair. And I waited to hear what God was going to say next, but he knew it was in my, I had to make the decision. Devil on one shoulder <laughs> and the angel on the other. And in the back of my head, I could hear my mom, believe it or not, yelling, Robbie, run from evil. And I'm like, I don't know where that came from. But that night I knew it was a big deal. I gave the money back to my friend, walked home. My parents were very proud of me when I told them the whole story, but they also said, by the way, you're grounded for a week for lying to us. I had it coming. From that journey, I went to school in the next couple of weeks and started a Bible study. We didn't have FCA back then, so asked the choir director, we started a Bible study. I felt God calling me to something greater all the way back then. I don't know about you, but we're all called to minister in some regard or another. Fast forward to 18, career choice. Didn't, didn't do very well with that. Uh, my grandfather suggested computers, so I went to school to be a computer programmer. And then they told me, you're going to be in a cubicle the rest of your life. And I'm like, ouch, that doesn't sound what an extrovert would want to do for the rest of their life. It's a great career, but just for my personality. So my wife suggested, why don't you start in sales of computers? So I sold computers. I sold radio advertising, I sold batteries, so I did sales for 15 years. And during that time, I met Nancy, my wife, at church. Isn't that great? <laughs> and uh, we together started doing Bible camp work, children's ministry, youth ministries, volunteers. Those of you that volunteer in the church, thank you. That's what it's about, is, is helping God on plan. We're going to talk through some of that this morning. So for me, then Nancy and I started thinking through, well, you know, what does God have next for us? And all of a sudden, I'm looking at an ad in a newspaper, of all things, and it says, host family needed for exchange student. Hmm, looked at it, passed it by six times. Finally, it takes God a little more to get my attention sometimes, maybe you. And I responded to this ad at the tech in Wausau, and we went. And uh, when we got there, they put this folder in front of us and said, congratulations, you're a host family. And my wife gives me the big elbow. And I'm like, honey, I didn't sign this up. I just want to explore this. Well, they were desperate. They needed host families. Have any of you hosted an exchange student by chance? What an experience it is. It's different, but it's awesome because in my mind, it pushes your world out of the comfort zone of what we're used to. So two weeks later, Oscar Chiquito is in Wausau. The first night he's there, we translated a letter from English into Spanish, <laughs> and he starts crying. And I'm like, oh, great. We've offended him already. He's homesick. They were tears of joy because he, his family, and his church have been praying that God would send him in a Christian home. 
in Spanish terms, mucho, uh, uh, mucho frío and mucho, uh, um, well, my brain, uh, snow, mucho, what's the snow word? Nieve, say it. Sorry, yeah, I couldn't think of it. So poor guy, a lot of snow, a lot of cold in Wausau, Wisconsin. His assignment's up there with us. And we're like, we knew God had a plan with this thing. We just don't know to what extent. So now we reach out. There's 32 students from all over the world, South America, Central America. They start coming to our house. Many of them had never heard the gospel before. They'd never even cracked the Bible. And we started sharing the gospel, and we saw 12 come to Christ. We started Bible studies with them, and then we sent them home. Well, in the middle of this, um, a friend of ours invited us to come up to the free church with all of these exchange students. We got up there and we fell in love with the place. We'd been in another church. It was a nice church, but um, it was more legalistic and it was a good spot for these students to be able to go. So we got up there and then we said, God, what do you want us to do? And so we stayed. A guy named Ken Moberg. Does anybody know that name? Ken was the senior pastor. And Ken right away asked me, hey, would you jump in and help us with our youth group and our children's ministry. And so I started volunteering. And before long, we'd sent Oscar back. I didn't realize this, but today Oscar does what I do in Guatemala, and he works with church leaders with uh, different denominations and tries to be a resource and a help to them in helping them with strategic planning and just helping churches. Long story about Oscar. Scott and uh, you guys, the Kingstons, know about this story in that regard with Oscar. But so fast forward um, we, we kind of sat and, and tried to figure out what God was doing in the middle of this. And then Ken asked me, would you consider being our next youth pastor, children's and youth pastor? And I said, I'm a salesman. I don't really have the, the Bible training that you would normally want. He goes, yeah, you had. You've had all this experience. You've done all this since you were four years old in Bible. He said, why not? And he said, we can walk you through the ordination process. So so we threw in our name in the hat. And in the middle of this, God called us to ministry through a speaker at a conference where he said, if you're not doing what God's called you to do, why haven't you done it yet? And tears came on my face, and I knew immediately. I called Nancy. My wife said, honey, we're going to vocationally go into full-time ministry. Let me stop and say this. We're all in full-time ministry. You need to remind yourselves that. You may be a nurse or you may be a mechanic. Whatever God has called you to, that's your area where he's called you. So we threw our name in the hat in Wassa and 12 other churches, and Wausau, our hometown, Highland Community Church, hired us for children's and youth ministry. The first week, the nursery coordinator quit. I'm like, Ken, can we cancel the nursery for a couple of weeks? And he's like, no, these parents need a place for their kids. I'm like, oh, shoot. So we started jumping in and getting volunteers. Youth ministry, same thing. People were just tired. So thank you for those that volunteer. We got through that. We were there a full seven years. And in the middle of that, I asked a guy in lacrosse. His name's Chris. I said, Chris, if you ever need help, with the big conference, it was about a thousand people at the time called Districts. Have any of you heard of Districts at all? It's the youth conference that we have. So it was about 800 to 1,000. And he calls me six months later. Chris says, Hey, Rob, would you take over and be the director of the conference? And I'm like, No, no, no. I just want to help. No, no, no. I'm, I'm resigning. I'm going to be a church planter, multi ethnic church planter in lacrosse. I'm like, Wow. So we prayed, threw our name in the hat, and they hired us, not hired us, but we became volunteers that led the Districts Youth Conference while I was being a youth pastor. Well, before long, the conference kept growing, and our ministry was growing, and we were just stressed out. We couldn't do them both. So we appealed to the district, would you hire somebody to do full-time uh, student ministry and help with that and event planning and all that? We think that'd be a great idea. That was 18 years ago. Does that sound familiar of what I'm going to share next? 
So I thought of all these guys that should be doing that, that were experienced, and asked them if they would consider being in that position. And they said, no, Rob, you're the guy. And I'm like, oh, wow. So we prayed. And then they said, by the way, you get to raise support for your position as a missionary. My wife was really thrilled about that. God's used that too. 18 plus years we've been in this row. We threw our name in the hat and they hired us. I remember one youth said to me, I'm really sad that you're leaving Wassa as our youth pastor, but we're excited we get to share you with the district, with other youth ministries around the district. So the call to ministry for me is, has been <laughs> amazing to see where I'm at today. Yes, we're the red phone sometimes when churches are having problems and we're also a place that needs support and encouragement. Monday, we have a conference of 400 of our leaders from all over Wisconsin. 80 churches will be together. Ministry leaders and pastors need encouragement, and that's what we try to do is provide that. Let me transition just a little bit of some big picture. You're part of something bigger. I don't know if you know this. Um, we have 1,600 EFCA churches nationwide. It's an association. There's 17 districts. We're one of them. We have 140 congregations. I know it says 130, but we're continuing to expand. 30,000 worshipers, and you guys are a part of something greater. It's encouraging. We exist to strengthen our member churches that together we may multiply healthy churches among all people. Our strategy, as I mentioned, is to connect, equip, and multiply our leaders around the district. We come alongside of pastors, elders, and other ministry leaders to resource, coach, mentor, in helping to partner with churches on the mission of God to reach people with the gospel and transform lives for eternity. I know for some of you, you're like, hey, we're going through a transition right now. Yes, you are. Some people, it's like, man, this is exciting. And others, it's like, this is nerve-wracking. 18 years, I've walked through this with lots of churches. Let me just say, don't be in a hurry. Let God work through this time. Let him be sovereign and allow what God has to do. When you lose one of your pastors who's been here 30 years, there's got to be a transition to think through. If we go too quick, guess what happens? Your next pastor may be an unintentional interim, we say, meaning it's hard. So we're praying with you, and we're coming alongside of you. All right, I want to jump in. I'm going to open in prayer, and I want to watch a video on the church, and then we'll jump into Acts 16 if you want to open your Bibles there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. We're together because we want to worship you, God. We want to thank you for Jesus. We ask for your blessing over this message. I pray that, God, you would just allow me to get out of the way and your Holy Spirit would lead. Speak to each one of us in, in a way that you would want to, that would be meaningful, and the Holy Spirit would just use this time. So we ask for your blessing over this time. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Here's your video. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. 
Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Love that video. When you think about just the vastness of what that video encompasses, it really should encourage us today of what we are called to be as the church. Well, this morning, the title of our message is a little bit, you're probably going, wow, how do you come up with this title? The church, who needs it? I'll answer that question at the end. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16 if you haven't. Um, The book of Acts is a history of the birth, founding, and spread of the church from Jerusalem to Rome. It also chronicles the transition of the church from being exclusively a Jewish institution into becoming a Gentile and international institution and the spreading of the gospel of salvation that's for all people. This morning, I'd like to look at one of my favorite stories in the New Testament in Acts 16. A little bit of a preliminary before we jump into that. During Paul and Silas's second missionary journey, the Holy Spirit instructed them where to go. From city to city, they were starting, planting, and encouraging churches. They picked up Timothy along the way, which is great, and mentored him, showing us this idea of disciple-making and what that looks like. They spoke with Lydia, and she, and, and she came to Christ, and then her whole entire family came to Christ. So let's pick up the story in Acts 16, and I've got it on the screen, so I'll just read it to us. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul, he became so annoyed that he turned around and said to her, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, 
Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. When they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal for them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Man, this is a story that's just, I mean, from the beginning to the end of it, it's nonstop action. You start off first with Paul and Silas. They run into this demon-possessed girl. She's a slave girl, and her masters are using her to make lots of money. This is in verses 16 and 19. And she was a fortune teller. So we deal with demon possession. I'm not going to spend much time on it. It is real. But to also let you know, if you have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your heart, you cannot be possessed by a demon. You can be oppressed, which means they can cause some trouble for you. But it's important for us to realize what was going on here. She follows Paul and Silas and says, these men are servants of the Most High God, which is the way to salvation. I think it's amazing. The demons know. They know what God's power is and what's coming. And it's interesting that Paul gets annoyed with her, continuing to do this day after day. And he turns around and he says, come out of her. And the demon comes out. Boy, did things change now in the story. In verse 19, her masters, they now realize that their way to make money is done. They can't make money off of her because she can't be a fortune teller. So the men, they, they create these false accusations and they were, that they were breaking Roman traditions. See, in Philippi, it was a Roman colony and they practiced Roman idolatry. But the real issue wasn't that. It was that they had lost their source of income. In verses 22 to 24, the multitudes rise up against them, and Paul and Silas are arrested. They're stripped, they're beaten, they're thrown into prison, and the jailer is told to take care of them and put them in stocks. So I believe in verse 25, we now realize why they were put in jailer. What was the mission for Paul and Silas? They were on mission encouraging the churches, and all of a sudden this happens. So I want to just say this to all of us. How would you react if you were thrown into prison? How would you react if you had a bad diagnosis of something health-wise? How do we react when it comes to something bad in our life? I think we first bellyache. Why me? The frustrations come. We're like going, God, why? I don't get this. Well, when we look at the passage and we see what Paul and Silas were doing I believe that they were on mission with God because they understood why they were in prison. And so what were they doing? Singing praises to God and praying. Praising God. What? I don't think I'd be doing that, honestly. I'd say, why me? And I think they would say to us today, why not me to go through these things? Sometimes we have to go through. We, all of us, have to go through hard times so that God's sovereignty can be shown to us that we can trust him even when things are hard. So how does God answer the prayers and the praises of Paul and Silas? Oh, and by the way, there's a lot of people in jail watching this whole thing. And that's what I think is also important as we navigate through this. People are watching us, and they're wondering what's different about us. Is there anything different? Well, their prayers got answered, maybe not the way they expected, but an earthquake took place, and the foundation is shook, 
The doors are open and their bands were loose. And the jailer wakes and realizes the doors are open and everyone's free to run. What did they do? What did Paul and Silas do in the prisoners? What would I do? What would you do? I'd be running out. I'm out of here. I got a chance to get out. Is that what they did? No. Partly I don't understand that, but then you see the mission and you understand it, it starts to make sense. So at that point, the jailer wakes out of his sleep and he realizes what's happened and he draws this sword to kill himself. Why? The reason is because he would be held accountable if all the prisoners got out. And he's ready to do that. And Paul and Silas realize it and they yell out, we're all here. We're still here. We, as in everyone. I'm going, this is, this is amazing. So the testimony that he's got, he, Paul and Silas have in that jail with all the people is as big as anything else for me because I watch they must have been doing some amazing things in the jail there that we don't even know about We could behind this, this, this story of what was going on. What's next is amazing because then the jailer turns the lights on and he comes flying in. He's not going to kill himself at that point. And what does he ask? What must I do to be saved? Really? That's an interesting question. He had to have been watching and hearing from these guys. So people knew exactly what these men stood for. And so Paul and Silas walked through this with them. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. The jailer, it says, believes he and his house. Wow, what a change they must have seen in their father. They cleaned their stripes of these prisoners. They'd been whipped and the jailer was a changed man. You ever watch a movie and they have these alternative endings that you can watch? How they end up? Well, the alternative ending for this story would be, in my mind, that the jailer, well, first of all, that the prisoners, Paul and Silas and all the prisoners, they run out and they're gone. And the jailer kills himself and his family deals with the loss. And I wonder if any of them would accept Jesus. Now, God's sovereign. You know, he knows those that are his. But when I think about this one, I'm grateful that Paul and Silas understood their mission. Do we understand the mission that God has called us to? Speaking of mission in the church, I want to walk through a few things. In my role in the district, I love being able to walk through uh, and give some insight that I've seen over the years. So one of the first things that I get asked, or I shouldn't say I ask, I ask people this, why does or why do we exist as a church? In your, if you've got the handout, there's some things there that you can follow along with. But why do we exist as a church? Here's what people have told me over the years. To meet my needs. To make me feel good. To entertain me and not bore me. To be in a place that's comfortable for me. My parents make me go. I've heard that. I feel guilty if I don't go. If I go, I have a better chance of going to heaven. Not true, but that's a response. The next, I've got another uh, poll from Gallup that I think is helpful. Some facts from surveys. The top seven reasons why people attend church. Here they are. For spiritual growth and guidance. It keeps me grounded and guided. It's my faith to worship God, the fellowship of other members, the community, believe in God and religion, brought me up that way. This is from Gallup. One more. 
Here's the top 11 reasons that unchurched people choose a church, according to LifeWay, Tom Rayner. Number one is pastoring and preaching. Number two, doctrines. Friendliness of members. Someone at church witnessed to me. A family member sensed God's presence and atmosphere of the church. A relationship other than a family member. Sunday school class. Children's and youth ministry. Worship style and music. Or the location. This next kind of observation that I've had as I've been working with churches, according to Barna, despite the cultural impact of the mega church, a lot of people have either been a part of that or seen that, most churchgoers attend services in a more intimate context. Do you know what the average, recently they just updated this, the average attendance for a church on a Sunday morning? Anybody have an idea? I'll tell you what it is. It's 89. That's the number is the average church size in America, all denominations. Some of our stats that show this, 46% attend a church of 100 or fewer attendees, 37% attend a church of 100 to 499, 9% go to a church of 500 to 999, and 8% attend what I call a mega church of 1,000 or more. So let's look back at this thought of what is the mission of the church? So when we look at the business world, which I was in for 15 years, all businesses usually have a mission statement. The mission explains why the organization exists. It communicates what they do, how and why they do it, and where they do it. I'll just give you one example. The American Red Cross. It's a humanitarian um, organization that exists to provide relief of victims of disaster, to victims of disaster, and help people prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies. Clear mission there. No doubt. So the church, of course, is not a business. Okay, The church is unique. It's commissioned by Jesus and sent into the world on mission. Do you guys know what Washera Community Church's mission is? Well, let me tell you. It's up on the uh, slides here. Washera Community Church exists to give God creative and meaningful worship and to discover and develop disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. Love it. So as I end this message, I want to just spend a couple of minutes on what I would call why do we exist as a church, some thoughts I have using scripture, and how do we measure success. So the first is, number one, we need to glorify God in our churches. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Number two, worship God. Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. We exist to passionately celebrate the Lord. When you celebrate communion, it's the ultimate in my mind of us celebrating the Lord. It's like pulling out a picture out of your wallet used to be, or opening up your cell phone and looking at a picture and going, ah, this is my grandson. You know, I've got seven grandkids. I love showing pictures of my grandchildren, let me tell you. When we celebrate on Sunday morning the fact that Jesus Christ died for us in the communion, what he's done for us, that is worshiping the Lord. Number three, this one's harder. I believe that success comes from fellowship and community with other believers. And some churches are better at this than others. 1 John 3 verse 18 says, We show love through actions. And I believe the best expression of love is spending time together. You guys have like community groups, life groups, things like that? Yeah? I will just say this to you. If you spend an hour a week here coming to church and that's it, 
you are missing out on something greater that God would want you to be a part of. We've been in a care group almost our whole life. Those are the people that we lean on for prayer. We lean on for encouragement. We try to get together a couple times a month. Man, it's so good to be together and just carry each other. So if you're not involved in one of these, I'd encourage you to consider that. It's such a good thing to be involved in. Number four, well, let me say this to you, by the way, also. I want to remind us that the church is built on broken people. That's why the community groups are so important, because we're all broken and we need Jesus. And so when we're in a group like that, we can be, it's a place where you can know and be known. Weaknesses and all, we need each other. Number four uh, is it's important that we think about disciple making. What does that look like? Matthew 28, make mature and multiply disciples who make more disciples. I think it's important that we think through who are your three in your life. Jesus had 12 that he ministered to, his disciples, but he had three that he really spent time with. I've got a microphone up here, and I thought we'd walk around and ask you for your three this morning. Just kidding. But I got you thinking. Who are the people that God has in your life right now, and who are you praying for? You've got this great news. You know Jesus, and someday you're going to be in heaven. We don't tell anybody about it. That's what God wants us to do in your sphere of influence. I'm an introvert. My wife is an introvert. So we had this discussion here a couple years ago. You know what she uses? Hospitality. Whatever God uses for you in that regard, use it for the Lord. Number five, this goes right into this evangelism. Matthew 9, 37 and 38 says, The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. The key is, how do you engage? We just started talking about that with your neighbors and your community. My next door neighbor, Ron, lost his wife about a year and a half ago. I remember Ron calling me. He said, Rob, Linda's not doing well. Can you come and pray with her? Well, they're fairly religious people, but I didn't know where they stood with God. And so I came in, and the family was all around her bed. And I just looked at at Linda, and I said, Linda, this is Rob, uh, your annoying neighbor. And she kind of smiled at me. And I said, Linda, do you know Jesus? And she grunted out, yes, I do. And so I gave her assurance of salvation in front of her family. We prayed and made sure that she knew Jesus. It was a moment I'll never forget. As a neighbor and Ron, he'll say to me all the time, thank you, Rob. That meant so much to know where Linda is someday. I also joined a old man's softball league a couple of years ago. Well, it was about 10 years ago. This was an interesting story. I'm pretty good at, at sports, and I've refereed sports over the years. I do it because I build relationships with people. But a friend of mine asked me if I'd jump on this team. I got done refing one night, and he called me and said, hey, would you play for our team tonight? And I'm like, I'll grab my glove. And halfway there, he called me and said, you're starting it short, 14-inch ball, you know. And I thought, man, this is great. We get to the end of the game, and the guys all gather at the concession stand for some peanuts and beverages, and I'm ready to get in my car and go home. And all of a sudden, I feel this tug from the Holy Spirit. You're not going home. Like, why not? These guys need Jesus. And I'm like, oh, boy. All of a sudden, I got my assignment and a mission that I knew what had to happen. So over the next 10 years, we started praying around the mound. We'd encourage the other teams to pray around the mound with us. It's kind of a bar league, honestly. It wasn't necessarily a, it wasn't a church league, so you can just understand. Then there was Lloyd, our manager. I knew his family were Christian, but he wasn't. I said to Lloyd, I took him out for breakfast. Lloyd, do you know Jesus? And he goes, 
eh, my wife and family, they got enough about Jesus. You know, for me, I don't need to worry about that. I said, Lord, I want to encourage you. You know you need Jesus because someday you're going to have to stand before God. And he said, I'll, I'll wait on that. Three weeks later, at a massive stroke, was near death. His wife calls me and says, Rob, can you rush to the hospital? I get to the hospital. Lloyd's still alive yet? I looked at Lloyd and I said, Lloyd, God has spared your life. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? He's given you a second chance. Lloyd that day prayed to accept Jesus. His wife was so happy. Lloyd's still around, not doing well, but we know where he'll go when he does pass on. See, for me, I can't tell people I'm a pastor either. Tell them a pastor kind of kills the moment, you know? So I tell people, I help people prepare for the next life. And they look at me and they go, oh, you're a funeral director. <laughs> no. Oh, you're a life insurance salesman or a financial advisor. I'm into transitions, I say. And then I tell them I'm a pastor. People I grew up with, remember that story back to my testimony in high school? When they see me, they go, oh, no surprise, you're a pastor. I, ho I hope that's a good thing that brings honor to glory to God. So how is God using you? What's your mission? What is the church's mission as we're walking through this all? I want to encourage you to think through what he has in your life. Our final one is serve. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Uh, someone was mentioning you guys were serving. Matthew 20 says, we exist to serve others by demonstrating God's love. Service isn't an option. The Messiah, he has called us. When he came, he served, just like we are called to serve. So this is why I love the local church. The church is not a building. It's not um, a temple. It's not the locale. Remember we started off asking about this? This is the place where people have been called. The church, who needs it? The answer to that is we all need it. Will you stand with me? We're going to do a congregational response. And I believe Ken Moberg wrote this, and I think it's really good. It's about unity of the church and what we need to be about. If you would stand with me and let's uh, recite this together, if you wouldn't mind. Let's all speak this together because I think it helps us really unify around something very important. All right, ready? We are one in Christ. We recognize that this one fact outweighs all of our differences and that there is nothing in this world that is stronger than the love of Christ which unites us. By God's grace, we now pledge that we will live united in his love toward one another affirming one another and praying for one another as a community of redeemed people. May God give us the humility to consider one another's needs before our own. We got one more. To accept one another without qualification and to look past each other's weaknesses, knowing that we all stumble in many ways. And may he grant us the capacity to identify the talents and abilities he has given us, as well as the willingness to apply them so that the body of Christ may be built up and that we work together for the glory of God until Jesus comes or calls us home. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and then I'm going to just have a short word of prayer. I want to commission you all this morning in my, on this journey. God, we are so thankful, God, that you invited us to be a part of your plan. When you sent Jesus to reconcile us, that was amazing. We needed that. 
So God, I pray for each person that's here. First of all, Lord, I pray that each of us has a testimony that we've made you our Lord and Savior. And if we haven't, if, if someone here needs that, I pray that they would come and talk to one of us and accept you as their Savior so they have a testimony. Secondly, Lord, I commission everyone here to where you want them to go, into their sphere of influence. May you give them the grace. May you give them the understanding of the mission you've called them on and this church. We're excited for WCC and the future of what you have planned here. So we ask for your blessing now in this day. Thank you for this wonderful congregation. Pray for the leaders, for uh, just wisdom for them as they lead. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you.